Welcome to Habs Unfiltered. This independent podcast is featured on the Hockey Writers and iHeartRadio, bringing you honest and unfiltered entertainment and discussion on the Montreal Canadiens and hockey news. Your hosts, Matt Smith, Treg Wilson, and Blaine Putney are proud to be one of your trusted sources. If you are talking about it, so are we. Welcome to Habs Unfiltered, your home for Montreal Canadiens news, information, and entertainment. Hosted by the hockey writers Blaine Pudvang, all Habs Matt Smith, and Treg Toxic Wilson. Our goal is to provide you unfiltered discussion and entertainment. Sit back and enjoy. Do you have a problem getting big city slams? Are you not getting the gains at the gym? Well, don't mortgage your future on rental supplements. Get Bergy Arms. Bergy Arms will get you the gains you need. Bergy Arms gets rid of all the bad attitude and builds better character so you can get the gains you need. Get Bergy Arms. Bergy Arms. Bergy Arms. Today. Not a real project, mate. They make you trade your favorite player for a mountain man. Do not use... If you're healthy, if you want it loyalty, buy a dog. Welcome to another episode of Habs Unfiltered. Uh, This week's episode features myself, Blaine Podfay, and Matt Smith. How's it going, Matt? Good, buddy. How are you? Oh, pretty good. Uh, I want to put out to our listeners, uh, Treg's apologies. He could not be with us this week. Uh, He had some family issues he had to deal with. So um, it's just going to be Matt and I giving uh, giving the non-toxic version of the episodes. Yeah, you guys are going to have to wait for the toxic version. Well, thankfully, they don't have to wait long as Treg does his own solo show where he rants and raves and gets as toxic or as non-toxic as he wants every Tuesday on Toxic Tuesdays. And sometimes it's so toxic, he releases it on Monday night. Right? He can't even stick to his own rules. (laughs) Must have been into the Chardonnay again or something. It's that boxed wine that kills him every time. It really does. <laughs> oh, the cardboard taste and the, the aftertaste just makes him go crazy and put stuff out early. It just makes you drink it faster. Uh, yeah, well, he's just he just puts a funnel in and off it goes. Like it's you remember him in Dallas. I do remember him in Dallas. Yeah, he I don't think he remember. I don't think he remembers Dallas, but I do. No, he doesn't remember Dallas. <laughs> um. But uh, this week's episode, we're going to be joined uh, in the second half by Sudbury Wolves historian, LA Kings writer, Mike Camito, uh, the author of Hockey 365. Uh, he is a friend of the show. Uh, this is not going to be his first appearance with uh, Habs Unfiltered. And he's going to talk to us a little bit about uh, Kovalchuk, uh, some talk about the draft uh, and uh, building and... Yeah, we'll we'll chit chat for a good twenty minutes, uh, but this segment, Matt and I, we are going to cover a few items. We're going to start with uh, a poll that I put out today, that's already at about five hundred votes, and that's uh, do the Canadians need a new team president? Who should it be, and who would be able to handle the business and the hockey ops issues? Um, I know Matt, you have a couple of ideas, but I'm just going to say for the for the poll, uh, I put the names Saku Koivu, Sel Chabal, and other with a comment. Uh, Saku Koivu is running away with this thing at 58. percent 
Meanwhile, Search Savard is at 21% and Other is at 21%. So, Matt, what do you think? Well, right now, logically, I, I think Koivu would be a really good choice based on the fact that he's such a fav- like a fan favorite when it comes to the Montreal Canadiens. And uh, we can all remember him coming back from uh, from his cancer treatments and uh, stepping out on the ice. And like even this season, when the uh, when the former captains showed up and they on the ice, he was the one that got the loudest ovation. Um, if they added him to the front office in any capacity whatsoever, I think the fans would be really really excited for it. However, you look at a hockey mind like Serge Savard, who was with the Canadians for quite a few years. Um, obviously part of the big three, et cetera, et cetera. Like he is, you know, he's an icon in Montreal. Um, he was also the man that was put in charge of finding the, find the new GM for the Montreal Canadians who is, who is now, you know, Mark Bergevin. So there's, there's history there. However, the way I look at it is, you know, some, some, some teams, some teams operate, they have their director of hockey operations, their team president, the same person. Some of them are divided. It just doesn't. I, I'm not sure that it, that um, Molson's ready to step aside. Even though I, I personally believe he should, I think it would be beneficial for Mark Ver, Mark Bergevin to have somebody um, to bounce some ideas off of. Um, I'm not saying that Bergevin is doing a bad job. I'm not saying he's doing a, a really great job. Um, he's had some uh, some flashes for sure. He's had some lows, that's for sure. Um, but if it if it ended up being Koivu or Savard, I think I think they'd be very very happy. Um, there are other names out there, and we'll get into those. Um, before we go too far, I'd like to know your opinion on the subject. Okay, well. Uh, I wrote an article on this for the hockey writers, and I used the two names of Saku Koivu and Serge Savard, kind of to um, demonstrate the major differences. So uh, in my research for the article, I looked up all the NHL teams, who they have as president, uh, what kind of person they are, what kind of background they have. And I found that a group, a large group, are just business types. Another large group are just hockey types. But in the last ten years of the Stanley Cup winners, the majority of them are just business types, um, leaving the hockey decisions to the hockey ops guy, who is also the GM. Uh, in one case, the St. Louis Blues, who the recent, the most recent Cup winner, the president is the GM. So. Um, it kind of the hockey ops are kind of left to the GMs for the most part, but I know that the fan base in Montreal, uh, being what it is, a lot of them have some animosity towards Mark Bergevin, and they want the reins pulled in on him a little bit because they, for some, they can't see the plan; others, they can't see past the trade. Uh, some only see a guy that they, they just don't like, uh, so. With Koivu, you have someone that does not have any any NHL experience whatsoever as a coach, as a manager. I mean, he played in the league for a long time, and he was he was a star player for the Canadians in his own right, uh, being a captain for like ten years. Uh, so bringing him in, I think it's just a PR move, really. Um, if they were truly honest about, if Molson really wanted to step aside and bring in a hockey guy that he could trust, it would have to be Serge Savard. Like you said, he he hired him to, he asked him to help him hire the new GM. Uh, Savard has that background as the big three. He's got six, six cup wins as a player. He's in the Hall of Fame. Um, all with the Canadians, except for two years with Winnipeg, but they didn't win anything. Um then he became the GM in 85, won, uh, won the last two Stanley Cups for the franchise. He he rebuilt the franchise in a in quick order, turned it into a, a very strong contending team for several years until he was let go in 95. And he's also a well-known businessman, so he has that business background as well. But he's got the and hockey I be- mind. 
and on. And I believe in that period of time, from 85 to 95, the times that he was there, the Canadians didn't miss the playoffs once. Not once. Which so, is another thing that fans are looking at right now. That's right. But because in those they're, years, used, they're used to playoff hockey in Montreal. Yeah, exactly. And in those years when he, when they made the playoffs, it wasn't a one-and-done. They were making the finals in in uh, in 89 and losing out to Calgary. They were going to second and third rounds. They were they were a legit playoff contenders. So, you know, if you want a hockey mind with that, and he speaks French. He's a local. He's got the hockey background. He's got the managerial background. He checks every single box. So he would be, in my opinion, the ideal president for hockey operations. It'd be interesting to see if um, if they do go through with that. Uh, I, I think we're going to look and see how the rest of the season goes. If the Montreal Canadiens can pull into a wild card position, if they start becoming sellers, if they, you know, they try to bring this season back with the uh, the players that are currently injured returning to the lineup, hopefully soon. It's going to be interesting. It's going to be an interesting off season. Well, and, I, and, and with and with the draft being in Montreal, it's going to put that much more pressure on Molson. Yeah, exactly. I I just I don't see Molson stepping aside for for whatever reason. Uh, if he were, I think Savard would be the one person he would step aside for. Uh, but I do not see him doing so. Now, as for the playoffs, I mean, this team, even as it is now, once it's fully healthy, we're going to see a much better team. And they're going to fight tooth and nail to get themselves back in the playoff picture. But those two eight-game winless streaks, I think, uh, crippled them for for the year. I don't think they're going to be able to recover from that. It's going to be it's going to be difficult, that's for sure. And we're seeing this team right now, even with the injuries, battling through. However, like we saw against Vegas the other night, they also stop playing at times as well. Yeah, they sit on leads. Which is which is something you cannot do. Which is something you cannot do. No, not 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 against any team in this league. No, and that's that's a problem. So that's another issue for another time. Um, But for now, um, yeah, I think they're going to end up being sellers uh, at the deadline. Minor sellers, like two, three, three pieces. Nothing huge. Just I think I, I. I'm thinking the same thing as well, but I don't know if Cole, honestly I don't know if Kovalchuk's going to move. Oh, I'm really no. not sure. I'm I'm almost 100 percent sure he's going to be gone by the deadline. In my opinion, it's uh, Thompson and Cousins. Those are the those are the two I think that are going to go. Oh, Thompson, 100 percent, I think is gone. As soon as the yeah. team makes an offer of like a fifth round pick, he's yeah. gone. Yeah, and Cousins will probably get you the same thing, maybe a fourth. Yeah. Yeah. But we'll see. We'll see from there. But going back to our original topic, um, we've had uh, we've talked about Severed. We've talked about uh, Koivu. There's also the other category. Um, what names have come up in the other um, in the other category? The vast majority of the names in that category, that, uh, the name that keeps coming back, uh, Bobby Smith. Now, I think that's a good pick. Uh, he's uh, he's got the background in hockey. He's won Stanley Cups. Uh, he is the owner of the Halifax Mooseheads, and the Mooseheads have been uh, a model CHL franchise. So he he knows how to guide, um, builds, rebuilds, champion teams, contending teams. Um, so yeah, I can see that. The issue there, he doesn't speak French. However, being an ex-Montreal Canadian who has won a Stanley Cup in Montreal, like Koivu, I think they would overlook that part of it absolutely uh another name that keeps coming back uh is patrick roi who i think is a horrible pick for any managerial spot or coach and here's why he has proven time and again that he is all fire brimstone and kind of selfish in like he's an amazing hockey player you can't take that away from him but if he's not getting his own way, he leaves right away. Look at look at Colorado. Mid midsummer, like a couple weeks before the season, gone. 
because he wasn't and he, did, and he, and he didn't do terrible in Colorado either. No, no, but he, he wasn't he, getting know. the players he wanted from the GM, and the GM wasn't Absolutely. listening to him, so he just left. He's proven he can do the job, but I agree with you that he, he wouldn't be good for a front office position. No, because then he would demand full control, and then you know the GM is going to be fired, the coach is going to be fired, Roy is going to be doing all three jobs, and he'll do horrible at all three because he's going to be too busy trying to juggle everything. Yeah, he'd be. I think he'd get overwhelmed as well. Yeah. Um, another name that I saw in the comments was uh, Dale Hunter. Yeah, that'd be. You know, honestly, that's that's another really good name to have out there. Um, I mean, he he fought in the battle, of the uh, the Battle of Quebec. You know, he's played. He he understands. So I can see that. You know, being a hockey mind, if he's just he's- running the hockey upside. He'd Absolutely, he's a strong hockey mind, and to be somebody that could, um, he could kind of put his, uh, you know, put his arm over uh, Timmons and give him a hand when it comes to scouting. Um, he's he's proven that, um, especially within the Ontario Hockey League, he knows how to pick players. He knows that he knows talent when he sees it, and um, obviously having a brother who is the coach of the uh, the London Knights doesn't you know doesn't hurt that that franchise always does well. That's true. They really do. Um, now, that's an all-star franchise, to be honest. Absolutely. It's, it's, Absolutely. A, it's the gold standard for junior hockey uh, junior hockey franchises in Canada at the moment. Now, the only, the only, the only of, thing, The only thing with Hunter, though, I'll just, I'll just jump in here for a second. Yep. The only thing with Hunter, I truly believe that he still wants a general manager, general manager position in the NHL. We all thought that he was going to take over in Toronto when Lamorello left. Lamorello went to the Islanders. The Islanders are looking like kind of a rejuvenated team, especially under Barry Trotz. Um, I'm thinking maybe that Lamorello, when he steps down, maybe Hunter will move into that position. That's a possibility. Or, or, you never know. There could be a team that starts, you know, we've seen the amount of coaches that have been fired this year. There might be an opening in the uh, in the off season, and he jumps into one of those positions because he know he knows his stuff. We all know that he does. Yeah, it. it the summer's going to be an interesting summer, just like Absolutely. the last one. Um, but uh, so we were talking about all star junior hockey teams. Let's talk about the all star weekend that's coming up. So we've got the uh, skills competition on Friday. Um, which is supposed to have some new events. Apparently, there's supposed to be one where they're going to um, put the safety net over a bunch of fan- over the fans, and they're going to flip pucks from the 100 level or 200 level or something towards center ice or something. Okay. I like it's something that uh, they're it's something they're talking about. They're probably going to end up doing it, but I don't know how exactly it's going to work. Um, obviously they're going to have, uh, hardest shot, fastest skater. They're going to have the safe streak for the goalies. Um, they're also going to have a, uh, a women's three on three kind of like mini tournament. Yeah. Which, which some people, some people are a hundred percent for some people are a hundred percent against. They're saying that women shouldn't be in the all-star game and it should be about the players that are there etc and okay honestly on that, on, honestly i could you know what i think is good for the game you got a lot of kids watching this you got a lot of kids watching this um from around uh, north america it's good for the game when you see the I women agree. out there and you see them out there playing in my opinion they're they're not taking anything away from the men they're not trying to take their jobs they're there they're they're the best players and their gender let them let them go out there and play especially on a big stage like this. Now, on that, I think th- this event is going to be the best event of the entire freaking weekend. These women are going to come out and they're going to compete hard. There's a rivalry between the US and Canada. Uh, they when they get on the ice, they hate each other. We're going to see that. Uh, there's going to be that intensity and the the fans are going to get into it because of that. The players are into it. The fans are into it. Now, if anyone wants to shit on 
the NHL for bringing these women in, well, they don't understand much of anything. Like 50% of the population, a little bit over actually, is female. You want to grow your sport, you want to grow your brand, you have to entice a larger audience of females to watch your sport. What better way to do it than to showcase the best female hockey players available? You bring them in. You show them that the NHL supports women's hockey. Women's hockey is, let's be honest, it's a very, very good sport. Granted, the two, the difference between the NHL and these women, there's a big difference. But, like you said, they're the best female athletes in this sport. So showcase it. Show them. Maybe it, it kind of dovetails into um, like the NBA and the WNBA partnership where the NHL has a WNHL and we get to see women playing hockey. So little girls growing up watching hockey, they're going to get into it a little bit more. They'll play more. The The game improves. Uh, more women are watching the NHL. The NHL is making more money. Absolutely. And adding to the um, to the women's part of it, uh, there's actually going to be a woman from the um, from the American team and a Canadian team as well that are going to compete in the uh, NHL Shooting Stars um, competition. Well, that the accuracy uh, the, ac- the accuracy, accuracy shooting, yes. Are they going to be doing anything with uh, the speed event? Because last year. Uh, Schofield, she just blew the doors off everybody. As of right now, I haven't heard anything. I, I would like to see that because I'd like to see her. I'd like to see her uh, have another opportunity. But uh, as of right now, the only events that I can remember uh, the women being a part of are the um, are the uh, the three on three tournament, obviously, and then the uh, the the one we're going to call the shooting stars. Okay. Which actually is not the accuracy shooting. Okay, what is it? So per the website, because I, because I, I, I you know, it kind of boggled my mind. I'm like, why don't they just call it the um, the accuracy shooting? So I'm just going to read it right off the website. So 10 players, 8 NHL All-Stars, 1 American Elite Women's All-Star Team member, and 1 Canadian Elite Women's All-Star Team member will compete in the Gatorade NHL Shooting Stars. Players from the American and Canadian Elite Women's Star Teams will be selected by a social media vote, which you can see on the NHL's NHL's, uh, Twitter feed. Players will be positioned on an elevated platform behind their goal. So this is the one that they're talking about. The one that I was saying that they're going to be 30 feet above the ice surface, where they will shoot pucks at a variety of targets located on the ice, with each target possessing different point values. One at a time, each player will attempt seven shots and earn points for each hit. So this is the one that we're talking about, the shooting stars. So they're going to shoot from about 30 feet up and... There's targets within the within the uh, you know on the ice, and they're going to try to hit them. So it's not the accuracy shooting. Well, it's gonna it's, least, it'll be something different. It's something different, and you know, honestly, no one could say the NHL is not trying to improve the All Star Weekend. All these changes. I mean, people are talking about it again, bringing the women in, making changes to this the. Um, uh, the skills format, I mean, at least they're trying to make it more interesting. We're, we're noticing, though, that some of the high-end players don't want anything to do with the end. Do not want anything to do with the, uh, the All-Star Weekend. And I and, can understand why. They want to stay rested. Absolutely. So we can get into the teams a little bit. We can, But more or less, I want to kind of get into some of the uh, notable omissions and the players that have decided not to uh, not to play. Okay, who are um, these quitters? Tell me the quitters. Okay, so the ones that have chosen not to play, um, Tuka Rask, Boo. chosen not to play. But Boo. I believe Rask is out with an injury anyway. I believe he's got a concussion now. Yeah, he does. But, so you know, he's the Bruins. We have to boom. But it's, it's at the time, the he chose not to play. 
Um, as we record today, it is the 22nd, Wednesday. Um, Austin Matthews says he's going to attend, but he will not participate in on-ice activities because of a wrist injury. Oh, hopefully so he keeps be- his pants on. I hope so. Um, but due to the fact that he's still going to be in St. Louis for the um, for the festivities, he will not have to uh, sit out for a game. He will not be suspended. Well, he doesn't want to lose his cheddar. So that's the Atlantic Division. Uh, the Metro. Metro has taken a huge hit, and they've so many injuries in the Metro this year. Um, Jake Gensel, Kyle Palmieri, Dougie Hamilton, and Corpusello, and Panarin have all been replaced. And uh, Alex Ovechkin, who was named team captain, who's on an absolute tear this year, um, he chose not to play. And, we, and, and it's kind of a we didn't we didn't really not see that coming. I think well, we knew at the start. It, he announced yeah. it at the start of the year. Absolutely. Um, Central, since uh, the players were named, Central has actually kept all their players. Everyone said yes. Everyone's going. Uh, Pacific. Uh, Jakob Silverberg for the Ducks. He turned it. He turned it down for a personal reason. Um, Logan Couture is out with an injury. Darrison Kempner is out with an injury. And uh, Mark Andre Fleury. He said no. So you look at the, you look at the way that the format is. Every player is supposed to be, re- or every team is supposed to be represented. And once again, like last year, with when Price said, you know, I'm not going. Montreal didn't have a representative. This year, I can see right here when I talk about Silverberg. Silverberg was replaced by Max Pacioretty, who plays for Vegas. So Anaheim doesn't have a representative. So I'm, I'm going to ask you, what would you have for a format for the All-Star Weekend? Would you keep it the way that it is? Would you go back to the, the naming the captains and having a draft, either... Um, two captains or do it within the division and, and pick your teams that way. Well, well, not really pick your divisions, but name name a captain for all the divisions and then do a fantasy league, like kind of a fantasy league draft within all those players and kind of mix up the teams. Um, would you go back to maybe North America versus the world? Um, East-West, what do you think? Well, I, I grew up with the East-West, so I, I kind of like that. But if you're going to pick, if you're going to have captains pick teams, I think what they should do is everybody just shows up to the skills competition and the two captain make two teams, have two captains and have the captains do a, do a skills competition against each other at every event for each event. The okay. winner gets to pick a pick. So he gets to pick whoever he wants. If he wins the event, the loser cannot make a pick. So until you win an event, you don't get a pick. That'd be interesting. I think that would, you know, it it would bring some interest to the more interest to the skills competition. The players, I mean, they wouldn't even know what team they're going to be on anyway. So, you know, it's it'd be a giant free for all. It'd be kind of like doing the draft, but in a different kind of way. Okay, and would you keep it three on three? Or would you go back to five on five? I think the three on three is the best way to go. Uh, it minimizes injuries. It highlights the skill of the game, and it keeps the game fun. So that's what the kids like to see. So I think keeping it that way is fine. We're not going to get a five-on-five intense, you know, two-period game out of these guys. They're they're there on a weekend. Pardon me to showcase skill and, and kind of have a good time. So three on three. And would you make it so every play each team needs to be represented? Yeah, no. The, all the guys are all named already, and they're already there. You just put the teams together based on the skills competition. Okay. So going back to that point about um, original or about um, maybe some notable omissions, because every team or every team should be represented. Um, I'm just going to look at the Atlantic Division. Uh, so the Atlantic Division, I'm just going to throw some some of the, some of the bigger names out there. Um, David Pasternak's the captain. Um, you've got Jack Eichel. You've got Jonathan Huberto. Uh, you've got Shea Weber being represented by the Canadians. Um, you have Victor Hedman. But I look at the Atlantic Division, and there are some notable omissions on this team. Um, you look at someone like Alexander Barkov. You look at Brad Marchand. I know, you know, obviously he's, he's, a, he's a Boston Bruin. 
But the guy's got 65 points this year. He's got as many points as Huberdeau. He's not, he, but he's not there because of this format, right? Even someone like Kucherov, who you would think that would be on the team, not on the team as well because of this format. Um, you know, it, it kind of makes you shake your head a little bit. Um, someone like um, Malkin, right? Malkin's not going to be there. He's he's lighting it up. He's got 50 points in 37 games in Sidney Crosby's absence. And someone like Nico Heischer, you know, nothing against Heischer, but I believe he's only got 25 to 27 points this year. You know, does you know does he deserve to be there over someone like Malkin? No, but again, you've got to mix together uh, team representation. Absolutely. And that's what it's going to come down to. So each year we're going to see this. We're going to see teams that are just – that you know they're stacked, and you're like, you know, oh, this 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 player should be there, this guy should be there. And there's always going to be these notable missions, and it's just the way that it's going to be until things change. Um, I doubt it's going to change anytime soon. And um, in case you guys haven't heard, the uh, 2021 All Star Weekend is going to be in Florida. Yeah, this sounds like it's going to be a good time. So, you know what, it's probably going to be a good thing. You know, it'll be good for the players. Maybe more of them will go because it's in Florida. But, um, you know, Florida's got a good team, but, you know, their fan base isn't really what it should be for the team that they have. Like, if you put that team in, say, Quebec City, they'd be selling out all the time. Oh, 100%. That right? team's like already they, sold tickets. Right? They, yeah, they've got a, they've got a stack team. And they've got um, so like someone like Jonathan Huberto. You can put him all over Quebec City, and the, his jerseys would fly off the shelf. So, you know, when we were there for the draft, we literally went to a restaurant that was, you know, a stone's throw away from the arena in, in Florida. And when we sat down, the waiter was taking our order. He says, "Hey, why are you Canadians in town?" And we said, "Well, we're here for the draft." And he thought we were there for the NFL draft. Yeah. So that was a fun and, little five minute conversation to explain to him what hockey was. Yeah, it was, you know, and it was like, oh, yeah, the rink, ice hockey. Yeah, that's the one. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, I, I, I'm not going to say anything about their choice on this one, but, you know, I, I, I personally would have taken the All Star game and put it where. You know, put it where your star player is right now. And the star player right now in the league is Connor McDavid. They got a brand new arena in Edmonton. Put it there. That that would have been my choice. Well, I mean, St. Louis, and, and I wanted to get to this eventually, but uh, I may as well jump in now with it. St. Louis is a a great hockey market. They're they're the defending cup champs. They they got a they got a huge fan base there now um, that they've built up over the last fifty years, and. I think we're going to see people coming away from this All-Star Weekend with glowing reports of St. Louis, which is a beautiful city, great people. Uh, I can't say enough good things about that area. Um, I think an added little bonus, we were mentioning um, team representation and um, players being named. Well, they had that last man in uh, contest. and uh, David Perron got in for the Blues, which is that's going to be a big deal for them seeing another Absolutely. one of theirs. But Absolutely. TJ Oshie got named as well from the Washington yep. Capitals, and being a former St. Louis Blues, um, he's going to be a fan favorite there. So the fans in St. Louis are going to get a treat. Uh, two players who deserve to be at the the All Star Game have made it in, and you know they want to be there because. That's where they both started their careers. Hundred percent. So it's, I, I think that's a good spot to, to give you the last word here. You know, I'm going to tune in. It's um, it's you know, it's not what it used to be. Um, but you know what? It's fun to watch. I'm looking forward to seeing Shea Weber just blow the hell out of that friggin' puck. Like I, I, I think that he's more than likely going to win the uh, the hardest shot. They haven't announced so you know who the who the competitors are going to be yet, but um, 
you know, you're probably going to see um, John Carlson, Seth Jones, maybe Slavin, etc. But I think that uh, it should be uh, it should be Shea Weber's, um, I believe, fourth time winning that competition. I'd have to do some research, yeah, but I'm pretty sure it's the fourth time. So he's got my vote, and I think that he's got most everyone else's vote too. So good luck to Shea Weber. Go Shea. Go Shea, go. Get out there, Dad. <laughs> All right. Uh, so we'll end the segment here, and uh, we'll take a commercial break. And then when we come back, we'll be joined by Mike Camito of the Los Angeles Kings and Sudbury Wolves. So uh, sit back, relax, and we'll be right back. Are you in the market for quality sticks and equipment you can afford? There is a no-frills, no-nonsense company that wants to provide that to you, No Name Hockey. No Name Hockey is a small Canadian company started by former pro player Jason Goulet. When he retired, he searched for sticks that felt like when he was a pro but could never find the right one or one that was reasonably priced. So he decided to start No Name Hockey. Now No Name offers high-quality, customized sticks at a fair price. They won't try to wow you with a fancy name. They will focus on providing you a pro-stock quality stick that you can afford. The cost of sticks has gone through the roof due to sponsorships and licensing fees. No Name Hockey makes sticks for the no-names and players currently making a name. And welcome back to Habs Unfiltered. We are now joined by Mike Camito, writer for the LA Kings, author of Hockey 365, and the team historian for the Sudbury Wolves. Welcome to the show, Mike. Thanks for having me. Great, great to be back. Yeah, we uh, we had you on last season, and uh, it was a smash hit. So much so that uh, we used one of your books for uh, for a fan giveaway. And That's uh, right, yeah. Yeah, and I think the contest was finally closed too, so that's awesome for you guys hitting that the milestone mark. And uh, that uh, I forget his name now, but uh, hopefully he enjoys the book. Yeah, the winner was uh, Kevin Robinson uh, at Kevin thirty eight forty one. We've uh, we've sent the book off to him, so congratulations to him. Awesome. Now, uh, Mike, <clears throat> pardon me. Um, as the team historian for the Sudbury Wolves, you have a first hand view of one of the very best prospects this year in Quentin Byfield. Uh, I've been on record as saying I would prefer him over Lafreniere, which kind of triggered some people. But uh, mm-hmm. could you give us <laughs> could you give us a view, uh, your view of uh, what kind of player Byfield really is? Yeah, no, he's definitely a very special player, and I think Wolves fans have been very fortunate to have him. You know, for the last two years, um, you know, I think that obviously he had a really great rookie season last year, but. We've seen um, just how great of a player he can be this year with the season with the Wolves. He's shattering his, his career highs from last year, and he's really putting together an incredible season. I think the thing about Byfield that, that I think most people point to is just how, how much skill and finesse he has for such a big guy. Again, he's, he is only 17 years old. He turns 18 uh, in the summer, but he's already you know, 6'4", 215 pounds, but he's still, he moves like a much smaller player, and he has incredible skill i think for me though the thing that obviously that i that i always point to typically is, is his speed um there's actually a goal uh, he had last week where he literally came out of nowhere um it, it, he just kind of came into the frame uh and took the puck and, and scored on and scored the goal so i mean i think that's kind of typical for him is just to kind of use his speed uh to break out and to get into those areas and 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 score so i mean it's going to be interesting to see where he ends up going um i mean most people have him going number two uh, which would ultimately make him the, the highest Wolves player ever drafted in the NHL. Foligno was drafted third overall in 79, uh, and I think Byfield's got a pretty good chance at, uh, at beating that. And now, uh, you mentioned his speed. Um, what people don't seem to realize is that he is a power forward as well. Yeah. You know, he's a big boy. I mean, he doesn't typically... He's not, he's not I don't think, using his body the way that we would a typical... Uh, or prototypical power forward now, but he certainly, uh, you know, has that has the size to go with that speed. So it'll be interesting to see what he does with uh, with that as he gets a little bit uh, older and bigger. But he definitely is a, it has a big frame for sure. Now the the team that would pick him would end up probably with uh, someone who's ready to make that step into the NHL. Um, 
But that being said, would you prefer that he remain in Sudbury? I mean, it would be interesting. To, I guess it ultimately depends on where he goes and, and how, if he's ready to make an impact or if they prefer to. I mean, as a as the team historian and as somebody who lives in Sudbury and, and goes to Wolves games often, I'd love to see him here. Um, but, at, but by the same token, I'd be eager to see him make that next step uh, and make the jump to pro, whether that's you know, in the NHL or in the AHL next year. Um, it, for me now, it's just kind of interesting to see where it'll end up. I mean, obviously, speaking with me as a as somebody who contributes to LAKings.com, um, you know, that would be kind of, I think, the perfect confluence for me if somehow the Kings were able to draft Byfield and those two hockey worlds of mine came together. But we'll have to wait and see how all the how the ping pong balls shake out and who ends up getting what uh, in the in the draft lottery. Well, the Kings are sitting thirtieth right now, so if ever, if the odds are the favorites, uh, mm-hmm. then the Kings would end up with him. Yeah, no, and we'll see. It's always, it's always different now with the, with, the, with the three separate lotteries, but yes, they're definitely in position. So, I mean, I think before the season began, that was kind of a thought I had in my mind. Ultimately, I kind of hope the Kings would not be where they are right now, but I don't think it's a surprise uh, where they are in the standings, but it is kind of coming together that it's a real possibility. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna get to that with the uh, in a few minutes, but uh, you tweeted out an OHL video uh, that had Dan Marr compare Byfield to uh, Jean Bedivo, and Habs mm-hmm. fans were triggered. What well, what was your takeaway from that comparison? Well, yeah, I mean I don't think that that's a really it's a it's a necessary or you know uh, accurate comparison to be making at this point in in anybody's career, let alone you know this this 17 year old's career. I think that that those types of comparisons are just uh, they're never really any good right because especially with a, with a player like Bellevaux like no one's ever going to be able to live up to those expectations there will only be one Jean Bellevaux for what he did for you know hockey in Montreal and, and with the club so I mean I get what he was saying in terms of uh, you know I think with with the size that Bellevaux was and how skilled he was and how great of a human being he was I think that's what he was trying to get across with Byfield that he has a lot of those same characteristics he is a really you know, great uh, human being off the ice as well. He's a great ambassador for the game. So he kind of embodies a lot of those same traits that Belleville had. But ultimately, when you invoke, you know, somebody with such prestige and who had such an impact on the game, um, yeah, that's just not, I don't think it's necessary. I, I get what he was trying to say, but ultimately, I think not, uh, maybe not the right call. Yeah, um, I, I, I agree with you. He was just trying to get the style points across, mm-hmm. not. Yeah. <laughs> But it, it it did cause a stir, which at the end of the day is it, it helps as well as hurts. But uh, um, we'll we'll uh, we'll move on to the uh, the Kings. Um, as we, as I mentioned before, they were thirtieth, and you were talking about that that uh, that transition for Byfield to the Kings possibly happening. Now that has a lot to do with uh, with GM Rod Blake's uh, rebuilding process. Um, is his plan, in your view, is his plan to use uh, some of the veterans that he has to kind of support those uh, those youth, or how do you see this rebuild happening? Yeah, well, I, I certainly think that they still have their core of veterans moving forward for the next few years, which would kind of align with the trajectory they're on. You've got the Kings have arguably one of the deepest prospect pools in the NHL, and so as players like like Turcotte and Kaliev and Bjornfot come into the league and kind of transition to becoming full-time NHLers, you're still, you're still going to have that core group. I think that'll ultimately be there, you know, to kind of mentor them and, and tutor them along. Uh, but then ultimately, uh, you know, in the three to five year mark, I, w- I would think that a lot of these, hopefully this, this pool that they've been developed, the drafting and developing will be ready to kind of take the reins and start that next chapter in Kings history. But, but I, I certainly think that the veterans will be a, a key part of that moving forward. Do you, uh, <clears throat> pardon me, do you see him uh, making trades to make room for players such as uh, Bjornfoot? Well, I think that uh, in terms of what the, there's a lot of rumors kind of going around of what the Kings are going to do leading up to the deadline. I mean, obviously Tyler defoley has been one who's been linked to the Bruins. Apparently the Bruins, uh, according to Elliot Friedman, have a, a deal in their back pocket for them, which I'm not sure exactly what that means. But ultimately a lot of teams are looking for uh for scoring depth heading into the playoffs, and you know, as a, as a, as a winger, to fully could add a lot to you know those the middle um, those middle pairings, not pairings, but uh, those middle lines in a, in a middle six role. 
but ultimately, um, you know, I think there is the possibility of also Martinez moving again. He's got another year on his deal, so he's not exactly a rental, but a team that's looking to maybe shore up their defense and then get another year out of it. We've seen that a little bit more lately where teams are, are trading for defensemen. Um, we saw it last year with, with McDonough, and, or no, sorry, two years ago with McDonough, and then last year with Muslim, where teams are trading for these guys, uh, and they're kind of getting a little that extra year, uh, so not paying the full pop for that rental tag. So, I mean, I think ultimately you could see another player like Martinez moving, um, but it'll be interesting to see what they do overall, uh, kind of between now and, and the draft and, and who they move in and out to try to start that next transition phase. Now, has uh, has Rob Blake actually gone out and told the fans, hey guys, we're, we're in a full rebuild, uh, bear with us, or have have they just kind of caught on to what he's doing? And I mean, it's it's fairly obvious to most, but has he made that PR move? Yeah, but I believe they had the well, they had the state of the franchise earlier in the season, um, and I think they've alluded to the fact that obviously this this team is in a bit of a transition right now, and I think you know the fans are aware that uh, it's in full rebuild mode, so I don't think that's any surprise um, whether or not they they're going to do anything quite like what the Rangers did in previous years, writing a letter to kind of signify that I think what they've done at those types of PR events and just by what they've been doing uh, behind the scenes. Is, I think um, there's no secret about uh, the, this phase that this team is currently in. Okay. And uh, one of those uh, one of those steps that uh, the GM took this year was to buy out Kovalchuk. And uh, I'm going to tie this back into the Canadians for obvious reasons, mm-hmm. but uh, he bought him out and things were not working there. Can you Can you give us a little bit of a view as to why? You know, I think it's interesting because, you know, I, I think it's, it's, it's maybe there's a tendency to say that, uh, you know, it was a usage issue or a systems issue. And, you know, Kovalchuk's kind of alluded to that a little bit where he said recently that, you know, he was playing, you know, six or seven minutes and he's the type of guy who needs to play, you know, much more minutes. And he's certainly been playing a lot of minutes in Montreal, no less than 18 minutes in each of those eight games he's played. But I mean, if you look back, um, he was not. He was not. He was never playing that few of minutes in, in LA, um, especially in the first season with Stevens as the coach. You know, he was playing, you know, upwards of 19 to 20 minutes a game. Um, so I think ultimately you could look at those things, and the transition of coaches coming through is obviously not great. And you know, the systems were kind of in flux with uh, with the way the coaching went last year. Um, I think ultimately at the end of the day, it just maybe wasn't a good fit. Um, you know, he seems to have a new lease on life in Montreal. It seems to be fully embracing uh, his role there. He's, he's obviously done, he's doing very well. He's already worth uh, the contract so far, it seems, with eight points in eight games. So, I mean, ultimately, I think we can kind of drill down into some of the things that didn't work from a, from a tactics perspective in L.A., but at the end of the day, I don't think sometimes it could just be, it just didn't work. Um, and I think that's kind of what the Kings had realized, that rather than try to continue this experiment, that they've tried to cut their losses now. Um, and it, it's, I mean, ultimately it's too bad it didn't work in LA, but it's great to see him kind of rejuvenated in Montreal because he is a great player and he's, he's obviously fun to watch. Yeah. It seems that he's, uh, he's winning some hearts and minds in the city of Montreal. Um, but, uh, I'm, this is pure speculation and just for fun, but do you see him staying or being traded? Well, that's the thing now, right? Cause I mean, ultimately you'd, you now have an asset, right? That you can move. Um, cause if you, you know, if he hadn't, if he came to Montreal and he certainly he didn't have the production he's having right now, then you know maybe see what happens. But ultimately, now he has he has a lot of value, and I think he's demonstrating that. You know, he he could be a a very useful um, part of a of a team moving forward, right? And so it's tough to say. Um, uh, yeah, I won't I won't uh, I won't make up a prediction just yet. <laughs> what are your thoughts on what you think they're going to do with him? Uh, my personal feeling is that he's going to be traded by the deadline. Yeah, yeah. That that's. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if they re-sign him for another year, but I think he's going to be traded. Yeah, yeah. It'll just be a question of which what pick do they get back because they'll certainly be getting something. Um, but yeah, no, it'll be interesting. Yeah, and to tie in with a, a player who hasn't really fit in with uh, his former team system, uh, Nikita Sherback. He was picked up off waivers by the Kings last year, and. Mm-hmm. Things didn't work out for him there either. No, no, he um, he only played eight games with the Kings, and then he went off. Uh, he, he went down to the AHL with the Rain. He did score eleven points in twenty-three games with the Rain, um, but ultimately, after that season, he ended up going 
uh, to the KHL, where he's placed on waivers there by uh, signed with Omsk, and then um, you know he's he's now I forget he's playing with uh, with Tractor now. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see if if that's a player that ever circles back. But ultimately, I don't think it's 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 he's someone who's long for the NHL. Um, and then unfortunately, just yeah, didn't work out. And he's one of the was it was Montreal's first round pick in 2014. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So it's uh, an unfortunate uh, that it hasn't worked out, but uh, we'll see what happens. Now, did, did uh, was that more of a deployment thing, a coaching thing, or is it a mix of that and the player himself? In your view of what you've seen and read and spoken to the uh, the coaching staffs? Yeah, I honestly don't really have a whole, a whole lot of insights as to where you know maybe that went wrong. Um, to be honest, yeah, I didn't. Uh, in his brief moment with the Kings last year, um, I didn't really catch a lot of, uh, of, of where he was, uh, how he's being deployed and whether or not that was uh, what the issues were surrounding that. I mean, I think he would have spent more time. Uh, he obviously did spend more time with the Canadians in their system. What are, I guess for you as somebody who follows the team more closely there, uh, what did you see in terms of how he was being used there and why the team might've, you know, wanted to, to part ways with him? Well, in Montreal, I think, I saw more of uh, the player's confidence wasn't there, and mm-hmm. he he was an extremely hard worker. He put in all kinds of effort, but it just seemed that he was putting it in the wrong spots. Didn't seem to catch on to what the coaching staff wanted. Um, he he just kind of he fell out of favor with uh, the NHL coach, and when they put him on waivers, the Kings jumped on that chance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I remember. I remember when the Kings claimed him, and I think everyone was pretty excited about potentially, um, you know, a rehabilitation project in LA. Um, but, but like you said, it just didn't uh, didn't work out there either. Um, and you know, it's, it's not out there of the possibility he could he could circle back to the league at some point. But uh, but it's not as if he's having, I think, um, you know, just a spectacular career in the KHL either. That would suggest that he's ready to to make the jump back anytime soon. Yeah, I, I, I agree on that one. Um, now something very important that I had to ask which Lego kit are you on now <laughs> so I I just finished the Batmobile um, that was a, a replica of the of the 1989 Michael Keaton Batman movie so I'm going to take a break now I think on the Lego um, I will admit that that was it wasn't a I guess it was an expensive kit depending on how you look at it so I try to space those out uh, and that's why I I worked so hard to write those stories for the Kings and the Wolves so that I could I can afford to buy these Lego these Lego kits. Otherwise, uh, my wife wouldn't be as big a fan of me bringing that much Lego into the house if, if it wasn't uh, if I wasn't paying for it somehow. I completely understand. And I will say that all the Lego goes to the office at work too. Um, it's definitely not. Uh, it's, it doesn't match our decor theme in the house, and so. Every time a kid is completed, my daughter, who's three years old, she she loves to see the final product. Uh, but but typically they're only in the house for a few hours before I've got to pack them up and send them to work. So my office at work has now kind of become a Lego museum, running out of a bit of space. But uh, but yeah, my wife is pretty firm on it is not to stay in the house. <laughs> <laughs> I completely understand that part of it. My uh, I collect things from all around the world and. They've all ended up somehow. <clears throat> pardon me. In uh, they've all ended up in the one room in the house that mm-hmm. no one else goes to. So, I've yeah, got that at least. Yeah, I feel like I'll be able to bring them back once Zoe's a little bit older and she's able to play with Lego. But for now, we'll keep them at the office I work. They're they're hit there. <laughs> yeah, I bet. Um, now, in your in your book, Hockey Three Sixty Five, you you placed uh, things. If this happened on this date. Uh, kind of every day you check it, it has a it has historical references to things that have happened in the NHL. What is your favorite hockey moment that may not be in that book? Um, well, to be honest, there's a lot, obviously, but I think for me personally, um, some of my favorite moments are obviously when I've been able to be at a game live. Um, and so these ones didn't make the book um, because the book is is tends to focus largely on the NHL and and some international hockey moments, but my favorite moment, hockey moment, was when the Wolves, the Sudbury Wolves so of the Ontario Hockey League, made uh, a deep playoff run in 2007. They went all the way to the OHL final. Uh, and I got to go to quite a few of those games when they were making that run. Um, 
And they were just incredible, I think, from obviously because the team was winning and especially in spectacular fashion. They had a triple overtime thriller against Belleville uh, in the semifinals. But ultimately in the final series against Plymouth, it was just electric. And for those who haven't been in the Sudbury Community Arena, it's probably one of the oldest arenas in the Ontario Hockey League. It was built in 51. Um, and so for that playoff series throughout the entire postseason, uh, the building was sold out and you could really only get standing room only tickets. And so around the top bowl, there's a railing and people would just stand, you know, you were three, four rows deep um, for these hockey games, right? So the vantage points were, were fine because there's really not a bad seat in that building. But I just remember how electric it was when the team came out. You could literally feel the building shake. And I've been to a lot of NHL games and I've you know seen football games and and basketball games, but nothing has been able to compare to the to the atmosphere that I felt, you know, in those games in Sudbury, right? And so it was just I think for me, like from a fan perspective, that's those are still some of my favorite moments is is watching the team go through that run in two thousand seven. That I actually flew home. Uh, being a Sudbury native, I flew back to Sudbury sure. for uh, one of those games against Plymouth, and I was in the standing room for those mm-hmm. for those games. So yeah, it was it was bananas. Yeah, it was it was really cool. I mean, we haven't had a playoff run quite like that, and well, since then. And so, but I just remember even other things that the city did as well to kind of get fans excited about. It. There was they had a across the park across the the street in the parking lot. They had an old Plymouth. Uh, car there, and you could actually hit it with a, you know, with a sledgehammer for a few bucks, right? And we see that the NHL did that in Nashville, um, you know, when they made their run to the Cup final. So just like cool things like that, where the whole community kind of came out. Um, this was also back when they, before the the arena has some new regulations now, where you can't leave during the game. But I remember during those playoff series, during intermission, everyone would just make a make a dash down the road to the doghouse, which you know does wings and and, and beer. And we go grab a pint, go back, and then kind of repeat that throughout the throughout the playoffs. So no, it was a lot of fun, and obviously the team played extremely well. So that was always great to see. All right, and before we sign off, is there anything you wanted to uh, to plug for future work, or is there another novel and uh, another book on the on the way? So I'd love to do another Hockey 365. I'm just not sure when when that'll happen. Um, I think for me as well, other big projects, it's, I, I would like to do a hockey book that's just one story. So it's just a matter of trying to figure out what story I'd like to tell that hasn't been done yet. Um, but that's kind of on, on my radar. I am actually working on a Subway Wolves book uh, with, with two colleagues and friends. Uh, so that'll be ready by the time the team has its 50th anniversary season, which will be in 2022. So still a little long ways out. Uh, haven't done a ton yet. We're just trying to figure out exactly who's going to be doing what, but that should be uh, hopefully a, a nice way to kind of commemorate the team's, uh, I guess, uh, silver anniversary or golden anniversary. I always forget which is which. I think it's the golden anniversary is the 50th, so um, looking forward to that. I mean, in the meantime, though, uh, I'm still writing for the Wolves, so I've got a couple pieces that will be coming out soon. So depending on when you're listening to this, uh, I've got a piece coming out about uh, Shander Alfonso, who played for the Wolves in the early 2000s, is now a linesman uh, in the NHL. So I kind of talked to him about the ins and outs of being a linesman and, you know, his training regimen and, and obviously also being the only uh, active uh, black official in the NHL right now, kind of touched on that. Uh, and then I've got some Kings pieces that'll be coming out later this month as well. Uh, I'd say look for those during the, during the bye week and the All-Star break. Well, that's great news, uh, and you can count on at least one sale for the uh, the book coming out in two years. As I'm a uh, an you. avid an avid Wolves fan myself, so I'll be snapping that up. Uh, but uh, I thank you very much for coming on the show, and uh, again, so I yeah. guess we can we can officially call you a friend of the show. Absolutely, yeah. No, it's my pleasure. Happy to come on anytime and chat. Okay, thanks a lot, Mike. Okay, take care, Blaine. And that concludes another episode of Habs Unfiltered. We would like to thank all our listeners, old and new, for joining us. We hope you were informed and entertained. And always remember, if you are talking about it, so are we.
looking to make the most out of this life and optimize your personal wellness? Then check out the Natural Man podcast. Join me, host Mike C., as we explore all areas of human wellness, physical, mental, and emotional. Learn strategies to optimize your own well-being and be in the driver's seat of your own health. Remember, your doctor works for you. Learn biohacks, neurohacks, ways to improve sleep, and ways to optimize your body and your mind. Check us out on Apple, Spotify, the Fountain App, and at naturalmanpodcast.com. The Podcast Super Friends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers. Hi, I'm Catherine O'Brien from Branch Out Programs in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm John Gay from Jag and Detroit Podcasts. I'm Matt Kundle from the Sound Off Podcast Network. I'm David Yes from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. And I'm Johnny Peterson from Straight Up Podcasts. Together, they form the Podcast Super Friends, an alliance of podcast masterminds sharing best practices, insights, and discussions to help make you a better podcaster. Follow or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at soundoff.network.